Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Father, we just want to thank you that where two or three are gathered, you're there in their midst, and you are here. You promised you will never leave nor forsake us. Your word tells us that you're toward us and never against us. That your blessing goes even beyond a thousand generations. And in this place, with everyone watching, with our communities, with our state, with our nation, with the world, I speak your blessing. I speak your life. Things might seem like they're going insane around us, but you are God and you are good. And all things have their being in you. Give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay. On Independence Day, we celebrate our nation's freedom. It's an appropriate time to reflect and celebrate our spiritual freedom as well that we've experienced in Jesus. The story of the rich man Lazarus is seemingly an unlikely place for such a reflection, looking at our freedom. But I think it will show that it's quite appropriate. And saying that, let's go ahead and let the fireworks begin early. So in Luke 16, verses 19 through 31, and I'm not going to read it uh, through at this point, but it talks about there being a certain rich man clothed in purple. He was wealthy. He was wealthy. And uh, he enjoyed all the best life he had to offer. And then there was Lazarus, a poor beggar that was there who longed to eat the crumbs that fell off of his table. And, you know, the dogs came over and licked his sores. I mean, not a very pleasant situation. And then as Jesus goes ahead and talks about this, he says that both of them died. And went to the hereafter and talks about their experience there. Now, Lazarus ended up in paradise and the rich man ended up in a place that he wasn't so happy to be in. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And many looking at this story that Jesus told, take it literally, believing that he's teaching about the afterlife, about two distinct eternal destinies, one in heaven and the other in hell, and the importance of living right to ensure you end up at the right place. Now, today's message is not a message about heaven and hell. So let's get off that mindset right there. I'm not touching that. But I am touching on what the theme, what the story of the rich man and Lazarus truly is. I don't know about you, but this story for many years really tormented me and caused me a lot of grief in my early days of Christianity. And my middle days of Christianity, too. Now, if Jesus is telling a parable here, parables are not meant to be understood literally. And if we do take any of Jesus' parables and put them as a literal meaning, we're going to skew them greatly. 
So a lot of people will say this isn't a uh, parable. Actual men are mentioned in here. Names, it's not a parable. Now we're going to look at that. Now, in order to properly understand what Jesus is communicating in this in the story of the rich man Lazarus, we need to look at its origin, which begins in Luke eight or Luke uh, chapter fifteen, verse one. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Jesus to hear him. So you can picture that in your mind. All the people that the religious considered not worthy, right? And the Pharisees, who were the most religious of all, and scribes who were right behind them, complained. They weren't happy with all these sinners coming to Jesus. This man receives sinners and eats with them. The story of Lazarus and the rich man is a combination of Jesus' addressing the Pharisees' disdain here. They're upset about being his meeting and eating with sinners. And what I believe this parable is about is about his addressing their exclusionary religious beliefs. Now, Jesus addressed their concern in verse 3. So he spoke this parable to them. So what Jesus is clearly saying in Luke 15, 3, what he is going to be speaking now is a parable. A single parable. And in reality, when we look at what follows, there's five parables there that we are all very familiar with that Jesus calls this parable. One parable, singular. It's one parable made up of a bunch of little parables, so to say, conveying a singular meaning, telling the same story in different ways. And it ends with the story of the rich man and Lazarus. So I'm going to start out. This is not literal. It's not to be taken literally. It is to be understood as a parable. Let's take a look, a quick look at each of the parables. In Luke 15... It talks about the parable of the lost sheep. We don't have any trouble understanding that's a parable. We see the shepherd going out and looking for the lost sheep, leaving the 99 behind. Now, with Jesus' theme here, what are the Pharisees upset about? The sinners meeting with Jesus. So who's the lost sheep that Jesus is referring to? The sinners that he so longs to meet with. And he seeks, how long? Until that lost sheep is found. And then what Jesus said is, there's more joy over this than the 99 who do not need repentance. This parable is about including the loss, or the lost and the resulting joy in their being restored to the fold. How do you think the Pharisees felt about that? Oh, we know, because Luke tells us they were pretty upset that these sinners, these worthless people were coming to Jesus. Then it goes on and talks about the lost coin and the woman who sought the lost coin. Parable. And who's the lost coin? 
the sinners again, coming to see Jesus. And how do the Pharisees react to that? Not very well, I'm sure. Luke 15, 11. The prodigal son. And there was so much celebration over the prodigal son who was lost being found. Now, this parable is about including the, uh, including the lost. And the lost represents the one who's a sinner. And what was a prodigal? I mean, he wasted his money on all things that you know about that I'm not going to have to talk about. Now, what do you think the mood of the Pharisees was when they were hearing this? Oh, we, <laughs> we can't wait to get you, Jesus. And then Luke 16, the unjust servant. And that's about using what you have to help others. And in the process, you help yourself. You can't serve two masters. The lost is the master's uh, servant who was a sinner. And he was found at the end. In each instance, the Pharisees realized the parables were referring to them and their exclusionary religious beliefs. The Pharisees thought they were the only ones going to heaven. Any of you ever been part of a church that believed you were the only ones going to heaven? Notice my hand is raised. I thought we were God's chosen, and then later on I came to discover that I was part of the chosen frozen, so... <laughs> But that's another message we can go into, not today. The Pharisees weren't very happy with Jesus. Now, the story of the rich man Lazarus is not a recollection of, historic, of a historical event to be taken literally. It's a parable. A parable is a compound word, para, meaning a comparison, an illustration, or an analogy and boli, which means to throw alongside. The Greeks understood parables to be brief, fictional narratives illustrating moral or spiritual principles. Again, parables are not recollections of actual events. When Jesus told a parable, it was a familiar story that the people knew that they had heard over and over and over again. Typically, Jesus, in that respect, did not start with original material. He took a story they knew, and he threw a twist in, like, wait a minute, what's going on here? What about the first time Jesus preached? Handed the scroll of the, scroll of the prophet Isaiah to the, declare the year, the sovereign year of the Lord. And then he cut there. He did not talk about God's judgment. Think that threw him in a little bit of a loop? Thank you, thank you. Jesus' parables were stories with a twist containing different aspects than his hearers were accustomed to to get them to think. How do we know if Jesus is speaking a parable? There's different clues in the scripture. Over 20 times, and one example is Luke 18.1. It's very direct. Jesus spoke his parable to them. It can also say, is like, for example, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. That's a parable. Suppose, Luke eleven fifteen. suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight. And yes, what people chide 
a certain man cannot be a parable. Luke 12, 16. Then Jesus spoke a parable to them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man. Just because it says a certain man does not mean that it's not a parable. Luke 13, 6. He also spoke this parable, a certain man had a fig tree. Luke 29, then he began to tell the people this parable, a certain man planted a vineyard. Mark 12, 1, then he began to speak to them in parables, a man planted a vineyard. Just because it says a man, a certain man, it does not mean it's not a parable. In this parable, which is a group of five parables, Jesus is telling the same story repetitively in different ways. Now, in the parable of the lost sheep, Jesus isn't talking about a specific sheep with a name. Oh, that's Robbie over there that got away again. The lost coin, it's not mentioned what kind of a coin it was or anything like that. The prodigal, Jesus isn't referring to a specific Jewish family. The unjust servant, Jesus isn't referring to a specific Jewish head of the household and his business relationship as house manager. Then comes a parable of the rich man Lazarus. Jesus would not break the flow with all those parables to throw an actual historical event in. Also, whenever Jesus had a story to tell, he used not real life stories, he used parables to teach. Matthew 13, 34. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables. And without a parable, he did not speak to them. When Jesus wanted to teach, and the Pharisees were included in this, he used parables. They're not to be taken literally. If we take them literally, it's going to come up with some very skewed theology a lot of times. Now, let me give you an example. If we take the parable of the rich man Lazarus literally, see if you can point out the, or get the theological issues with it. First of all, according to the rich man Lazarus, going to heaven or hell is based on one's economic status and their level of torment experienced in life on earth. That's the literal logical conclusion where does it say in there they need to receive Jesus? They need to say the sinner's prayer. They need to do this. They need to do that. Nothing. The parable is based on one thing. Well, actually two things. One, how much money you got. And two, how much suffering you're doing. I'm not aware of that being part of any evangelical Protestant Christian creed. Now, we might practice that in some situations, but second, Jesus isn't mentioned as a way to heaven. Only wealth or suffering works are mentioned as a way to heaven. Third, it declares resurrection from the dead as being a poor argument for another's salvation. What did the rich man say? Send Lazarus back. My brothers know he's dead. That will convince them. And Jesus said, not even someone coming from the dead will convince them. What's the 
whole focal point of Christianity, the empty tomb. If Christ is not resurrected, our faith is what? Worthless. It diminishes. Such a belief would diminish the most important aspect of Christianity. Taking the parable of the rich man of Lazarus literally is theologically problematic. So it's very important that we understand this. Taking a look at this parable, it was a Babylonian parable assimilated by Israel during the Babylonian exile. In their exile, Israel embraced many beliefs and practices contrary to Judaism. Now, in respect to the afterlife, Jews believed that both the righteous and wicked went to the same place. There was a common grave, a common hereafter. It was called Sheol. Both the righteous and the dead one, or the unrighteous went there. It was a gloomy place. It wasn't a place of torment or suffering. It was like a holding chamber. Go into any good lexicon, and that's what you're going to find in there when it talks about it. Now, in Jesus' day, many versions, five or six versions of that parable were going around. It was very familiar. Now, we know in the exile that the Jews picked up a lot of uh, bad practices, like making cakes to the queen of heaven and things like that. Not good stuff. Now, Jesus modified this parable in a way that the hearers could connect the dots. Jesus spoke this five-parable sequence, specifically to the Pharisees and scribes who were there, and they clearly understood his message. <clears throat> now, in the other versions, there was no mention of the beggar's name, but Jesus named him Lazarus. Lazarus is the Greek version of Eliezer, Abraham's servant, who was a Gentile to get Abraham's, and he was in line to get Abraham's inheritance because Abraham had no son. The Pharisees, scribes, and Jews would have readily realized this connection. That was an important aspect of their theology. You know, it's kind of like us. Oh my gosh, Jesus showed up at the service. Someone who's not a Christian, they hear that. Wow, Jesus appeared in front of you? Oh my gosh, the service was on fire. The place was on fire. Did you call the fire department? We've got our lingo. We understand it. People outside of our clique, they don't get it. The Jews understood this lingo. And the Pharisees and scribes, they knew what Jesus was getting. Yeah, it was like, don't go there. You are pushing our buttons and you don't want to do that. We got power. How many brothers did the rich man have? Five. They understood the reference to Levi, the priestly tribe, and Levi had five brothers, all sharing Rachel as their mother. Jesus is addressing the priestly caste of the law, of Mosaic law. And this connection was readily realized. The name Lazarus means God is my help. The beggar relied on God. What did the rich man rely on? His own wealth, his own rituals, his own self. Religion was just a convenience in the rest of his more important matters of life. 
The rich man did not care about his neighbor in need. Remember Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan? You know, what I'm coming to realize is I read the Gospels, all of Jesus' parables are connected with a singular meaning, telling the same story. Jesus, in one of the parables of Mark, in his first parable, he said, you don't understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? They all have the same connected meaning. Same story in just different ways. The Pharisees were the wealthy business class of the day. They clearly understood Jesus' references. They understood Jesus was addressing their mindset and calling it unhealthy, toxic. Now the rich, uh, self-righteous man ends up in torment in Hades, while Lazarus ends up in paradise. Talk about a role reversal there. Jesus was communicating with them Wealth is not a sign of God's blessing. I can remember uh, the first church I got on a board on, just about backslid after that experience, years and years ago. And I can remember it being mentioned that, you know, all this money's coming into the church, we must really be doing God's will. I appreciate churches being blessed financially, but what's in my wallet has no bearing on my being righteous or being in God's perfect will. Sadly, that gets communicated a lot in the church, but we won't go there today. Jesus was telling him, wealth is not a proof of God's blessing, or the lack of it is not proof of his cursing. Your self-justifying acts of righteousness don't result in righteousness or heavenly bliss. And in this story, how do they end up? In torment. We can only find blessing in one place, in Jesus, and relying on Jesus, being rooted in God alone. Pharisees and scribes were insulted. A Gentile doing everything wrong got in. And we doing everything right missed it? That's what you're telling us? How dare you? Now Jesus repeatedly taught of Israel's exclusion uh, and the Gentiles' inclusion. Matthew 8.12, the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness, but the Gentiles will come in. Matthew 21.31, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots under the kingdom of God before you. Verse 43. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. Matthew 21, 1 through 9. Jesus' story of the wedding feast. Matthew 3, 9. Don't think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to rise up children from Abraham from these stones. The Jews had trouble embracing that anyone could get in before they get in. And a lot of times that mentality is in the church as well. The Jews relied on their righteous acts of righteousness or their acts of righteousness to bless and save them. 
However, what was freely and already theirs in Abraham, they excluded themselves from because of Moses' demand for absolute perfection. The law had absolutely zero power to bless you. All the law had power to do was to curse you. You failed. You missed it. You're not doing it. And if you don't stop, this is what's going to come on to you. That was the power of the law. You know what the power of Abraham was? The Abrahamic blessing. No curse is in it. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus isn't about heaven and hell. Rather, it's about Moses, works, and the false identity which humanity embraced in the first Adam, which separates one from God's blessing. I want to say clearly that God has never in all history of humanity separated himself from man. When Adam sinned, he ran and hid from God when he heard him coming. And what did God do? He went looking. When the prophet says your sins have separated you from God, it's not that God turned his back, it's that man turned his back. Religion consistently gets it wrong again and again and again, placing guilt trips on people and making us go through this performance loop where we can never measure up and we're always miserable and in guilt. That's a horrible hamster wheel. And it feels wonderful when we jump off of it. The parable of the rich man Lazarus is about those not having the law receiving Abraham's blessings freely. The beggar who Jesus portrayed with the connections as a Gentile was enjoying the blessings that belonged to the children of Israel. they forgot how to access those blessings. God wasn't holding back. They were holding themselves back. The promise is not based on man's faith, but Abraham's faith, which is Jesus' faith. Repeatedly, again and again and again in Scripture, it tells us to have the faith of God, the faith belonging to God. I understand translators did not translate it that way. Because having God's faith makes no sense. I talk to people and again and again, what does God need faith for? God trusts that what he says he will do. His word does not return to him void. It accomplishes its purpose. The Pharisees and scribes understood what Jesus was communicating much better than many Christians today. I wasn't talking about heaven and hell. He was talking about their standard of righteousness and how it results in death. Now let's take a deeper look. Luke 16, 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, fared sumptuously every day. The purple linen, he was wealthy, he lived off the fat of the land. A certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. The dogs came over and licked his sores. He was starving, and the rich man didn't even care. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Notice the beggar died, and he wasn't buried like the rich man. 
Anyone know where he went when he died? If I say the name, I think you'll recall it. Gehenna, the Valley of Ben-Hinnom. You know that still exists in Jerusalem today? I've seen pictures of it. And you know what it is? It is a park. (laughs) But back then, the beggars, they burned them there. Their garbage, they burned it there. The idols, they burned them there. That's where Lazarus was thrown. He didn't get a tomb like the rich man. And being in torments in Hades, the rich man lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. King James, New King James Version I'm reading from. And it says torments. It's not singular in the Greek, it's plural. Okay? Now, the rich man was dead in Hades, the Greek equivalent of Sheol, which historically, like I said to the Jews, was a gloomy place, but it wasn't a place of torment. The scripture states that he was in torments, so what gives? If we look at the word torments there, it's the word basanos, which is plural in the Greek. And what it means, if you go to any of your lexicons, it'll say that it is a touchstone. A black, siliceous stone used to test the purity of gold, silver, and other metals. Hence, any test or criterion by which the qualities of a thing are tried. But I believe what was happening with the rich man in this time, he was being tested. He was being assayed. And he was portraying every event in his life that he had gone through and how Lazarus, who was in the Abraham's bosom, how he didn't even help him and he was dying. You ever been in a spot where you realized you could have helped someone in front of you and you didn't recognize the signs and experience guilt over that? I have. How could I not have known? Or maybe even worse, did know and didn't act on it. And then what do you think Jesus there would have been pointing out to him? You did this to Lazarus. You did this to this guy. You did that to that guy. You did that to that guy. No. It's Moses that does that. Jesus told the Israelites, you have one, one who accuses you. Moses, whom you trust. One. Hallelujah. Moses was an accuser and Jesus is not. You know what I believe he was tormented with? Jesus saying, you're loved. You're accepted in the beloved. You are righteous. I love you. You're the apple of my eye. You ever have God tell you that when you haven't felt that way? That's kind of tormenting. I believe this is what he was going through. He was realizing that his successes that he experienced weren't rooted in the cosmos, the cosmetic identity, which Adam introduced in embracing the lie. 
They were rooted in his authentic identity, being made in God's image, in his likeness, which has always been there, and he never realized. You know, I look back with my kids, raising them, raising them in church our entire lives. But what I raised them in wasn't a healthy Christianity. And I raised them with a fair amount of toxicity. It breaks my heart. But I celebrate how God protected good character in each and every one of them. And I'm thankful that that is what they reach out and embrace instead of a toxic religion. And not all religion is toxic, so I'm not saying that. What the rich man considered in life to be the most valuable, now he realized its true worth, not as valuable as he thought. What is valued in the cosmetic identity is pavement to be walked on in God's economy, which is his Zoe life. The rich man cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And he sent Lazarus that he may go dip the tip of his or dip the tip of his finger in the cool water and cool his tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. Why did he call out to Abraham and not Moses? Well, one he saw Moses over there, but he came to the realization that all Moses could do was curse him. And he realized that Father Abraham, which all the messianic blessings flowed through, and he needed a savior. He was tormented. The word torment, and you know, when we see the word torment and flame, still my mind goes back to those connotations of men spending eternity in hell. But the word torment there, in the Greek it means sorrow, pain, distress in the body or mind, to be pained, to be sorrowful. The word flame is flox, which means to burn or to shine as fire. And it's not always used in negative ways. It's also used in very positive ways, like Revelation 1.14, talking about Jesus. His head and hair were white like wool and white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. You see, I believe in this story. One thing Jesus was saying is that there's a day that lies ahead when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, whether in heaven, on the earth, or beneath the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father out of Philippians. I'm going to stand 100% behind what God says rather than what any denomination or creed of men says because God knows best. Father knows best. You see, I believe in the afterlife. Men are going to be tormented. What they're going to be tormented by is laying sight for the first time in their lives with pure love. Can any of us relate to that in this life? When we feel so dirty, so vile, so violated, and pure love engulfs us, I'm not worthy. Get away from me. What did Peter do when, after that miraculous catch of fish, oh Lord, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. That's what this rich man was going through. I've blown it. This is what Jesus is talking about. Not about doing things right or you're going to go to hell. But what about the waters, the gulf there, and dipping the finger? 
This is a parable. Those are metaphors of the Abrahamic blessing, the Messianic blessing. But Abram said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus' evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. The word comforted there is the word parakaleo. There's another form of that word that you might be familiar with, paraclete, which is referred as Holy Spirit. Lazarus knew his authentic identity. He came to a revelation of that, that it was not rooted in who he believed he was. It was rooted in who God declared him to be, the God who causeth things that see themselves as not as though they are. That's what he was meaning when he was saying Lazarus was tormented in life because of all the religion that was thrown at him. But now you are because you realize what you threw were those crumbs that were of no worth. What's worth is standing in front of you. And beside this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed. So those who want to pass from here uh, to you cannot, nor from you to here. The separation wasn't a God-made separation. It was a separation in the beginning in the garden, a man-made separation. There's never been a God-made separation. He's always chasing us down in his love. Verse 27, then the rich man said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. I have five brothers. May he testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But then he said, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded through one rising from the dead. They themselves must die and rise from the dead is what this rich man was doing in this process. And the story there is, is that where you're at now, your present condition is no indication of your God-created potential. You are who he declares you to be. Regardless of what you're walking now, he sees you in light of his purpose and his power. You have been equipped to fulfill what he declares over you. Don't let anyone tell you that that is not possible. Jesus' parable of the rich man and Lazarus isn't about going to heaven or hell. It's addressing the Pharisees' self-focus and self-righteousness, minimizing and excluding others that are not part of their group, believing and acting like them. He tells them in death, such a mindset will torment them, but those outside of this mindset will be comforted. Realizing the truth, you'll want to rise from the dead to share truth with your family to save them. This is what he's telling the rich man. In that case, but it would fall on dead ears. They've turned a deaf ear to Moses and the prophets. They won't even listen if someone rises from the dead, which Moses and the prophets foretold. Your mindset separates you from authentic identity. The good news for them and for us today is that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. And it doesn't say he or she. 
It says that. And what was lost, and what is lost in humanity today is believing that I am God's image. I am God's likeness. That his breath is in me. All creation, all humanity lives in him, moves in him, has their being in him. The parable of the lost sheep, authentic, authentic identity restored, the same with the lost coin, the same with the prodigal, the same with the unjust servant, and it's the same in the rich, with the rich man Lazarus. All these parables are one, and they're rooted in discovering and embracing your authentic identity. The religious systems of men hinder one's discovery and embrace authentic identity, and all these parables communicate God's love and inclusion of all humanity. Now, just because God's included all humanity doesn't mean all walk in that blessing. What about the rich man? He didn't believe. He was outside. God didn't push him out there. He pushed himself out there. I believe when Jesus died, he didn't die for some. I believe he died for all, right? And if he died for all, the price has been paid. There's no debt that remains, correct? But if we live our lives in the mentality that I have a debt to pay, that's the same mentality that Adam had. I have to do something to be what God declares I already am. As we celebrate Independence Day, I want to encourage us to celebrate our freedom that we are not under the curse of the law. We are not under the curse that Adam introduced into the world. That as he is, so are you, so are we in this world. Hallelujah. Peace and blessing. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.